When you think about where your life is now and how you got here, have you thought about and reflected on the experiences in your life and the impact it has had on the person you are today? Here at The Shape of You, we believe that these experiences shape where you are today, either physically or mentally. My name is Tanya Jones. I am a sports radio journalist, and I've interviewed many athletes who have overcome challenges. The Shape of You podcast aims to inspire you with life stories that may help reflect on your life and further understand your strength in overcoming life's challenges. Welcome to The Shape of You. Welcome to today's episode of The Shape of You. It is my pleasure to introduce my colleague and friend, Kate Eamond. And Kate is a lecturer at La Trobe University in Bendigo, Australia, specialising in mental health and therapeutic communication for postgraduate, undergraduate nursing and paramedicine degrees. She is currently a PhD candidate focusing her research on mental health assessment in pre-hospital care. Kate's career hasn't always focused on the academic world. She has managed crisis care teams and even continues her passion of music in a brass band. Her busy life and career was abruptly challenged a few years ago when Kate was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. Today on The Shape of You, I want to explore Kate's resilience in dealing with life's challenges and how these experiences have shaped who she is today. Kate, it's my pleasure to welcome you to The Shape of You. Thank you. It's good to be here. Great to have you on the show and we get to explore your life in detail and find out how your life experiences have shaped who you are today. And to do that, we need to go back to the beginning, don't we? To the <laughs> dawn of time. From your childhood. <laughs> and let's, let's talk about your childhood. You, you said you had a, a, a very nice upbringing. Yeah, I had a pretty good, good upbringing. I um, was born in the, you know, the good year of 1973. And I feel fortunate that I kind of grew up without technology or any of that, um, any of that business. Yeah, it's got an older brother. I've got an absolutely wonderful twin brother, um, and obviously mum and dad. Um, dad's a bit of a rock for me. He's he's just an awesome human being. And we moved to America um, when we were still in primary school, and so that was a pretty good experience. Then we came back to Australia, and uh, that's when I kind of started getting stuck into playing in brass bands. Actually, dad was at a used to go to this local pub and the owner played the tuba and one day he said to Dad, hey, you reckon your kids might like to play a brass instrument? Yeah, I remember when he came home, we were like, yeah, <laughs> let's do that. So, so that was actually really good because as far as my, my childhood and, and teenage years, it was very much focused on music um, and I was lucky enough to win some Victorian championships and um, did pretty well. Um, with my instrument during that time, it was good. Very interesting that that you've okay. I just want to play this instrument, and then you're brilliant at it. <laughs> <laughs> was that the first time you ever thought about music, though, when your dad introduced you to it? Uh, no, we had a, a piano in the house, and I did some piano lessons, but um, I quite it didn't quite um, stick with me as much as playing the brass instrument did. Yeah, it just felt it just felt natural. It felt really good. And I, even today, I mean, I still play, 
in a band and I just love listening to brass music. Beautiful. Nothing better than some soaring French horns. <laughs> what, is, what is it about it that you love? What, what's, what attracted you to it? Um, well, I think I like to compare it kind of like team sports. You know, I'm, I'm not a sporty kind of person at all. I used to like to run a bit, but um, when you're playing with a band, you're playing with a group of people, a group of like-minded people, and it becomes like a bit of a family. And, and even, I mean, I had band practice last night and, and the people at band are just the most wonderful human beings um, that, are, that, you know, and to, to come together every Wednesday and play, it's just, it lifts your spirits, you feel socially connected, you're intellectually connected because you're, you know, making music and it's just very fulfilling. And not to mention the um, physiological benefits of uh, deep breathing with the instrument and breathing from the diaphragm. <laughs> so there's a <laughs> little bit of science um, with playing brass instruments as well. So It, it does yeah. help. It's interesting what you talk about being with like-minded people, how important that is mm. in, in your life to have that and, and to have that support network as well. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Is that what sort of kept you, or even to this day, playing music? Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, and actually, I did stop playing for a while. I lived in Melbourne for a little while um, and played with the top A-grade brass band in Melbourne and we won the Australian Championships um, in 1998. Um, And when I moved back to Bendigo in 2000, I had a bit of a break. Um, I'd still play at home and get the odd request to play the last post at funerals, um, which I loved loved doing. It was an absolute honour. Um, but I just became kind of busy, you know. I, I was a, well, I'm a mental health nurse and was doing shift work and had my son and it was just, you know, oh, I can't fit this in, can't fit this in. And when I got to my busiest point, that's actually when I, when I got back into the band. I needed balance. I didn't have balance. I was either working, you know, being a mum, and that, that, that was it. There was no kind of outlet. So joining and getting back into the banding, yeah, was the outlet. So it's interesting you, you, you go back to your, your passion to, to give you that balance mm. in your life. And, and does that sort of just give you that sort of peace and comfort as well? Is that... Oh, yeah, of? yeah, it does. And actually I'll, um, I kept playing throughout my whole... Um, cancer treatment and the band were just awesome like that was just so so brilliant and it was the one place where I also felt comfortable taking off my beanie you know and just being bold and um, you know I always had this little kit with me because you get these side effects with chemo with with your mouth and it couldn't and obviously I, I lacked kind of we've become breath breathless more easily so they were very very kind and our musical director is also a fantastic cook and she would bring cakes to band practice because I, I went vegan for a little while while I was on treatment and she'd bring these amazing vegan cakes to band practice and it was just the best thing like it just you know you, you knew you felt supported and even when we we played in the Australian Championships um, and to my absolute surprise and I, I I actually did did cry um, when we had our photo taken 
the band all wore hats. Oh, wow. So I wouldn't have to be bald. So we all had our, our band hats on, which was just, it meant so much to me because um, you just, like the support, it's just overwhelming. They're just wonderful. Yeah, I want to go back to when you were first diagnosed, but before that I sort of want to have a look at Kate Amon's career first and, and how you got to where you got and why you got oh. to where you got in terms of <laughs> in terms of focusing on that career and, and you're putting your passion aside in terms of your brass instrument yeah. uh, and put that aside in, in the room and, okay, this is what I'm going to pursue. So what sort of drew you to the area of mental health? Um, well, there are a couple of things. Um, so when I, when I was 18, my grandparents died in a house fire and that was um, just a horrifying experience for our family. You know, Nan and Pa were just the bee's knees. You know, they were just such wonderful, beautiful, caring human beings and um, they were only 74, you know, when they, when they died. And um, as everyone knows that who's gone through grief and lost someone, it, it changes you a bit, you know, it just changes you and changes a bit of your outlook on life. And um, I was actually, I was studying music in Melbourne and, um, and <laughs> this is completely off the track with what happened to my grandparents, but it's what actually shaped my experiences. Um, I miraculously found out I was expecting my first child. <laughs> <laughs> a miraculous surprise. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a, a very wonderful surprise. And it's interesting because, I mean, I, I was 19 at that time. I was 20 by the time I had him. And obviously that's pretty young. And it was interesting when I found out that I was pregnant um, there was no doubt in my mind that this was the best thing that happened happened for our family. It was bringing new life into the family after us going through the grief of losing Nan and Pa. And it just changed. Like, I just kind of went from being a little bit free-floating and partying and playing music because it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty... Pretty good lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> pretty relaxed lifestyle. Yeah, pretty, pretty relaxed. To um, going, okay, um, I'm going to have a child. I need to settle down. I need to have a, a good job. And when I was thinking about mental health, I remember my, my pa actually had a, um, had a depressive episode after he had a heart attack. And I remember going to visit him in in the, the mental health unit at the time and I was just fascinated with the, with this. I was like, what is this world, you know? And then I thought, well, I just had this strong kind of feeling that, you know, that that's... I can do that. So I started studying nursing and at that time, you know, there were changes in the curriculum and I wasn't getting any experience in mental health. It was all just, you know, general nursing. Um, so, I mean, you wouldn't be able to do this now, but back then I rang the, the 
Department of Psychiatry and said, look, would you take a nursing student from, on placement? And they said, yes, we would. So I told her placement's good. I'd <laughs> 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 arrange my own placement. And oh, as soon as I got in there, I was like, yep, this is it. This is it. This is what I need to do. And it, it's the the rewarding experiences of caring for people um, with mental illness and how it gives you a different perspective and gratitude for your life. You know, that, hey, things aren't that bad. You know, people are really, really hurting and and trying, you know, to to get through horrible illnesses. And um, so, yeah, just loved it. Then worked on crisis teams for years and then I was very passionate about mental health nursing, about the work we did, and then I was... And I always liked studying, so I just kept studying. You know, I did my postgraduate diploma, I did my master's, and then um, when I was doing a managing role, I was really worried about our workforce. You know, we had a massive workforce shortage, and I just thought, what can we do, you know? And we still have a workforce shortage in mental health, you know? I thought, what can we do? How can we try and encourage students to pick this pathway, this specialist pathway in nursing? So that was the uh, instigator for coming to the university. It was actually really interesting, because while I was thinking about it, I just, just looked on the uni website to see if there was any jobs available, and yes, there was. There happened to be a job. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is interesting. And, um, yeah, and it's been, it's been an interesting experience, yeah. It's kind of interesting what you said about your grandparents. That to me it sounded like for you it was a present given to you yes. to go into this specialist field, and that continues today, doesn't it? Yeah, that, it does. That feeling. Yep. It does, yep. And um, I always have a strong sense of, of Nan and Pa being around and um, a strong sense that, you know, I know that I'd be, be proud of, of what I'm doing. So it, and it's always felt like the right thing to do. Yeah. Has there ever been moments in your career where you thought, oh, this probably hasn't been the right decision? Has there ever been a, a moment like that? Never. Never. I mean... Working through COVID was pretty tough, um, but that wasn't because I didn't like my work. Um, I just had conflicting views with um, leadership styles. So, but it wasn't about the work. So that was about, you know, the operations. No, it's always felt like the right thing to do, yeah. Yeah. And, and now my research, because my, my area is, is crisis, um, you know, emergency, mental health emergencies, I'm now doing that research in, with paramedicine. Um, and that's just been fantastic. And, and hopefully that research might, might change something down the track. You know, we've had a Royal Commission into Mental Health Services. So hopefully it will contribute to changing the way we look at how we deliver a decent service to people experiencing mental illness. And you did mention COVID and the impact that has had on mental health. And it's actually spoken about nowadays a bit more openly, isn't it? Mm. Whereas when you would have first started in the in the field, it wouldn't have been on the forefront of people's minds, but now it is, isn't it? Mm. So 
So how did you see that impact of COVID on, on people's mental health? Um, geez, I mean, you just saw it everywhere, yeah. Um, with friends, with, you know, family and you, know, you could see the impact that it was having, that the isolation was having, um, and then just finding strategies to combat that. Um, you know, we... I think everyone actually did a really good good job getting through it, actually. And I've seen a difference in students this year. Like, they've, they seem to be so much more open-minded about this area of nursing. And we had a great cohort of, of nursing students in mental health this year. It was fantastic. So... Yeah, it's interesting, COVID. I think it's all—it's personal for everyone. Um, I'm actually a bit of an introvert at heart, so a part of me didn't mind being, <laughs> being at home. It was good. Um, working from home got a little bit tough. Then working and homeschooling, you know, had its challenges. But you know, we even kept doing band practice through COVID. We just zoom in, and it was really important to try and keep the things that keep you going going. Like even with my boys, I'd encourage, you know gaming because they can hook up with their friends gaming it's like go on jump in you know just to try and make things as normal as possible and i want to you talked about your your boys i want to go back to so you had your your first child at the age of 19 and now he's 20 i was 20 oh 20 and and i want to be very clear about that because i remember being very happy that i wasn't a teenage statistic you know, that I wasn't, oh, teenage <laughs> Just got through it. Just, <laughs> just got, got through it. it. Just scraped through. <laughs> You're not a statistic. You're just a 20-year-old having a kid. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty interesting time of your life, though. As you, as you said, you you're going through mm. some some uh, you know, bit of fun in your life and that happened and you managed to sort of adjust. And that's sort of a human trait, isn't it? Very much so that yep. we're able to adjust so quickly. Yep. And, yep. and then after that, you, you've had another couple of kids. So tell us about that journey heading into a yeah. meeting someone else. And Actually, it's really interesting because um, my first son's father and I, you know, we, we were very young and um, we really hadn't been going out for that long. And um, so we, we, we didn't stay together, um, but we still had, you know, were part of our son's lives um i remember when i met my now ex-husband and you know that all started i remember thinking oh yeah i probably should settle down and be normal and you know marry picket fence now because i just been the I'd you know, cruising along, studying, single mum, you know, and, and even my son says, look, they, they were great. That was the greatest time of our lives when we were just together, just the two of us. Um, that bond, bonding that you had and that, yeah. that continues to this day, doesn't it, that yeah. bond? Yeah, he's gorgeous. He's my bear. And um, so, yeah, settled down. Um had two more boys they're all gorgeous but the marriage was just difficult you know 
like to spend money and had to have the newest of new things and like to drink and um yeah I was just an unpleasant person and it wasn't what I was used to I didn't grow up with that you know I grew up with you know my nan and pa and you know having these role models in my life that were just full of full of love and that were caring and um then kind of seeing this this man I mean he, he has some good traits obviously but you know the bad ones were just getting worse and worse and worse and he wouldn't take any accountability for it and um, so I decided to to leave the marriage and, and that was after some time so yeah, wasn't 10 it years. 10 years yeah and um, you know the true colors came out with him then so he made the whole process. It was very difficult. It was a very, very hard time. Um, everything with the boys was, was good, but it was just separating myself financially from him and his financial mess. Um, and he was just really rude. And that, I mean, I suppose he was angry. He lost control of the marriage. And, um, you know, I think it probably hurt him more that you know, I didn't leave him for anyone. It was because of him. Mm-hmm. You know? and I've, I've been single to this day. It's been amazing. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> a, the, it's interesting too, that ego bruise, isn't it? That, that the reason why yeah. you left. But at the, at the same time too, did you often reflect on what attracted you to him? What traits of um, him did you, were you attracted to initially? Oh, we had some common interests. Um, you know, we're both nurses. We both enjoy movies and music. Yeah. And maybe common, like we always talk about, that's great to have those type of interests in common, but when it comes down to the the morals and the values of you as a human being, yep. that's critical, isn't it? Yeah, it is critical. And you try to think, you know, love is blind. Mm. And you tr- you try to think, oh, no, no, it'll be okay. We'll be all right. It's okay to have, you know, some differences. Um, but, yeah, when it starts to impact. And he wasn't particularly kind to my eldest son either. Mm. So that was pretty awful. And, yeah, when I, when I left him, like, he, he just drew out the court process. Um, it was very stressful. Um... Because I just wanted to just separate, you know, just not have to have anything to do with him anymore um, except, you know, managing the kids. And all that's, you know, via, via text and, you know, it works out pretty well because, you know, they're, they're our priority. So it was about, it took a couple of years to get through all of that and um, then I found out I had breast cancer. So, and, and so you were going through a separation, divorce. Yep. And then you found out that horrific news. Did how did what was your feeling when you heard the news? Um, Just unpack that for us. I'd been so stressed for the past two years prior to that um, because of the behaviours of my ex-husband that. 
I was disappointed in myself that I didn't, you know, because I, I kind of hold, used to hold on to stress and try and cope and try and pretend I cope. You know, I didn't want the kids to, to know that I was going through this hard time trying to detangle myself financially from their dad. So I just kept this brave face. But I think in the end it was detrimental to my health, the stress of it. Um, we don't have any family history of this type of breast cancer. I've got a cousin that had breast cancer and an uncle. Um, but there's no, they were different types of, of cancer. So it was, I was surprised. I actually thought when I first was told that there was a lump, I actually thought, no, nah, this is, it's just a cyst or something. I remember mum had cysts. And um, so I just didn't, didn't even think that, oh, this is cancer, or let alone an aggressive cancer. And I didn't even know. I remember just being shell-shocked, trying to get my head around. Um, why would you want to do chemotherapy before surgery? Why wouldn't you just get it out? You know, why wouldn't you just get the tumour out? And then that took me a while for it to sink in to go, OK, it's because the cancer's so aggressive that, you know, I may have free-floating free cells already in my body that could metastasize. So that was pretty scary. So that changed everything. Everything. And, you know, and this is the last I'll, I'll talk about um, my ex-husband, but while I was going through chemotherapy, he wrote and published a like ebook on surviving and thriving after divorce. Right. So your response to that? And he wrote in there that, you know, his his ex wife just wanted to you know, she was just too busy with her friends and doing her PhD, you know, no time for the family. And it's like, mm, you didn't mention your alcoholism, you didn't mention, you know, your spending habits, um, you not remembering being unpleasant because you'd had too much to drink and then minimising it the next day and, you know, these repeated patterns. No mention that. And it was actually, it was kind of funny in a way because... In in I didn't read it. I was tempted. I was actually too exhausted to be quite honest. Initially, I was like, "What a, you know, what an a hole." But then it's like, "Well, okay. How important is this man to me? He's not." So, didn't read it. Didn't engage in it. Um, my biggest thing was the boys. You know, I didn't didn't want the boys to read that and think that that was the truth. Um, I was seeing a, a psychologist during my chemotherapy and, you know, she helped me enormously kind of unpacking that. And it was interesting. I kind of just turned it around and thought, well, if that was how he had to cope with it, and it, in a lot of ways I shouldn't have been surprised because that's the type of person he is, then that's his issue. It's not mine. So he wrote the book when he found out about your diagnosis yeah. or 
So would you feel that would be part of his control mechanism as well, that, okay, you're going through this challenging journey, the kids will be there for you? Yeah. And maybe it was feeling like he was losing that part of control that he had? I don't know. You know, I try, I try not to give him that much kind of of my brain space, mm. really. He doesn't deserve it. And how did your kids respond? To... To the book and to... They don't... Well, as far as I'm aware, they don't know about it. Like, okay. you know, back then it was something that I wanted to discuss with them in time. Um, so they're aware of it. But they're pretty smart kids, you know. And I've, I've had some really good conversations with them. Actually, this is, you know, a, a, one of the things about going through cancer is that it, re, it, it just gives you... Yes, it's horrible, but it gives you a gift... And it completely changes the way you look at the world. You know, when I found out about that, I, I, I very quickly just kind of let it go. Whereas, you know, I would have been, you know, crying and upset and like, how dare he, you know, people need to know the truth. And it's like, I don't have to do any of that. You know, the people that are important to me know the truth. So no one else actually has any meaning or relevance in my life. Now, with the boys, you know, one of the things I spoke to about the psychologist, and I would would 100% recommend anyone going through cancer to to see, you know, the psychologist, because I was actually resistant about it at the start. I'm like, nah, I don't need that. <laughs> but, you know, my oncologist is pretty good. He's awesome, actually. And I eventually went, and one of the things I, I said to her was, you know, I'm really worried about my son and this is my middle son said he he seems to be coping very very well he he you know just has got this kind of stoicness about him you know the boys were amazing they were like helping around the house you know they really looked after me it was just they were wonderful and I was just like oh you know he's just Whenever I ask him if he's okay, he just says, oh, yeah, I'm okay. You didn't want to put that on you. Yeah. yeah. And then she said, well, what do you do? How, how do you behave in front of them? And then the light bulb went. It's like, well, that's exactly what I do. I try to pretend I'm okay all the time because so, I want to protect them. And she said, he's mimicking what you're doing. You're actually teaching him that behaviour. You need to be honest and open when you experience emotion. And it was just like, oh, God, she's so right. It's you powerful, know? isn't it? That's Very a powerful, powerful statement. Yep. So, you know, I just started opening up about my emotions with the boys. And, of course, they did start opening up to me. And we just, we've had some beautiful moments where we've just all been in tears, you know, and it's been wonderful. Um, and that's, you know, that's been one of the most important... There's two, there's two important things I've learned going through cancer. One is just, you know, being open with your emotions and letting people know, hey, if you're sad, it's OK to be sad. You know, it's all right. It's OK not to be OK, which is yeah. what a lot of people say now, and it's, there's nothing truer than that, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I'm a mental health nurse. You think I'd know that. <laughs> but when it applies to your own life and, you know, you're like, you know, the mother 
mother line looking after her cubs it's like no no one wanted my cubs it's like I'm not doing them any favors by not showing you know emotion so um that was a good learning learning curve for me and the second one was I remember my cousin ringing me up and asking me how I was going and I'll never forget this she said to me you know what what you learn going out of camp going through cancer is that life is about making memories that's what life is life is memories and it it is so true because when you think when I think about my nan and pa you know they've been gone for years decades but I still feel like they're around me because I've got wonderful memories of them wonderful they're all wonderful memories. That's what keeps them alive. They live on through your heart, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So life is about making memories. So everything that I do with my boys and you know, through my work, it's about making memories. About what, what I do and how I behave and act today, someone's going to think about that. You know, and the people that you love are going to think about that. And... You know, that's, there's nothing more important. So, you know, I'm, and my oldest son would attest to this, I'm way more relaxed now than I <laughs> used to really? be. <laughs> so much more relaxed. Um, you know, I don't worry about, you know, the small stuff anymore. And because I've had to worry about the big stuff. <laughs> that's right. You know, so you don't, you don't worry. As far as work's concerned, if I feel like, things might be getting a bit stressful I've got to change something because I'm not going back there absolutely not and just listening you know listening to your body as well if I need to have a rest I'm going to rest yeah it's it's important life lessons isn't it yep that cancer has given you and and the relationships the changes in any sort of relationships like friendship groups and and your kids and so forth how how is cancer impacted on on Um, your relationships it just strengthened them it's interesting it's strengthened um it's strengthened relationships with the people that were already closest to me um and probably divided like the ones that weren't so close to me which was good because it's like well actually that's answered my question about about you don't need you in my life don't need your stuff because there's all these wonderful people here and time is precious because you just never know when it's going to go so I'm not going to waste my time with someone whose company I don't enjoy um, or that doesn't reciprocate the kindness and thoughtfulness that you give Um, just you know my, my friends are they're just, they're three amazing women and they helped me through, if I didn't have them when I was going through my marriage breakup and, and cancer, it would have been a much harder journey. They've, um, and they've really helped me open up because they always thought I was a bit, you know, a bit emotionally reserved. <laughs> That's a nice way to explain I call it. Isn't restraint. It? <laughs> it's something I've, I've learned, you know, working in crisis teams. <laughs> Being conservative in your emotions. <laughs> so it's, 
you know, it's been wonderful. Even when I, when I came home from surgery, um, one of my friends stayed at my house for a week and we just camped on the couch and watched movies and we had a ball. It was wonderful. Um, yeah, it really, you know, it's about... You've really got to be grateful for life. I mean, the, I know this is going to sound silly, but, you know, you look outside, you've got that beautiful gum tree... It's a beautiful day. You're alive. You know, appreciate it. And I, so, I think the older you, you get to, you when you're well, I'm finding the older I get, because we're the same age, Kate. That you wake up in the morning, you go, okay, I've got another day ahead of me. That's fantastic. Whereas yeah. when you're young, like before you had your first <laughs> child, it's like take each day and have fun, but you take yeah. it for granted, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you do. And you know, when when you look at what's you know what's happening you know internationally at the moment with Ukraine and it it's just devastating and I just think god you know look at us we're sitting here we're safe we're happy we're comfortable and there's just so much horribleness going on for other people I want to ask you a question about if you didn't if you weren't diagnosed with cancer, where where do you think you would be today if different Kate Amond? Yeah, I think it would have been... I would have been Kate that tries to get everything done, Kate that tries to keep the house as tidy as possible all the time. You know, there has to be a, a bit of a perfectionist and then, you know, be down on myself if I don't get things done. Where do you think that came from, that oh. part of you? Oh, I think I've always been a bit that way. It's like, like I said, when I was growing, growing up and I picked up the horn, I, I didn't just pick up the horn, you know, I excelled at it. And I went, right, let's, let's go <laughs> I'm to do something. And, and let's, yeah. I remember the first time I, I went on stage and I was so nervous that when I was playing, I was shaking and it sounded like... <laughs> and I'm like, no, nah, there's no way I'm going back there. And, um, you know, my parents were pretty awesome and very encouraging. And, um, of course, I did go back there, went back there multiple times and still go back there. So I think I've always been the type of person that if I'm going to do something, I've got to do it well. Or what's, what's the point, you know? I'm st- and I'm still a little bit like that, but now I'm a little bit like, oh, okay, hang on, this isn't quite working or, you know, there's too many variables that are making it a little bit more difficult. I'm more inclined now to go, meh, all right, I'm, d- I'm actually done with that. I'm, you know, I'm actually not going to work till midnight just to get that done because I've actually got my boys, I'm going to finish work. At five, I'm going to go home, I'm going to relax, I'm going to cook tea, I'm going to enjoy gaming, you know, because that's one thing I do love to is gaming. And it's like, well, you know, I'm not going to put restrictions on, you can only game between one and like, no, that's something we do as a family together. It's enjoyment. So there's no, you know, you know I don't get uptight about, I've asked you three times to clean your room. It's like, hey, dude. <laughs> You're going to do that? Yeah, you're going to do that? Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. it's still going to be a mess. It's still going to be a mess. Like, still, obviously, I don't want them to be lazy, but 
and they are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful boys. And and they do do it, you know, but there's no point getting uptight about it or, you know, thinking that you need to be this massive, big disciplinary to, you know. It's about showing them, you know, love and respect and home's meant to be your haven. It's meant to be your place of peace where you can just be yourself. Yeah. Very much so. And I was thinking of a, a question for you about which I ask a lot of people is how they like to be remembered. I remember being uh, at a funeral one day and someone said to me, well, the imp- this person has had an amazing career. They've done everything they could possibly do in their life, but the way that person made people feel is the way they, they are remembered. Is that something that you reflect on, that type of thing, how you'd like to be remembered, how any of us would like to be remembered? Yeah, it's a good good question. I haven't really thought about it. Um, yeah, I think because, you know, you have different relationships with people, so you're going to be remembered differently by each of them. And I just know that the people that I love and that I give my time to, I know that they'll remember me as either, you know, a good mother, sister, daughter, friend, colleague. Yep. And the ones that don't remember me is that there's a reason for it. There's a reason <laughs> for it. I didn't give you my time. <laughs> you, you've certainly given your, your career a good uh, good go as well in, in terms of that you I wanted to touch on that crisis care thing. You sort of brushed over it a little bit, but I know that you sort of started out in that area, but you ended up even though you were fresh in the in the area of crisis care, you started to manage teams straight away. So that just says something about yourself as well that you. Oh, it wasn't wasn't straight away. So I was very lucky actually to work with the crisis team as early as I did. Um, back then, they'd want you to have quite a few years' experience, but I managed to to get myself in there, and I had some because. The reason I loved it so much is there were some amazing clinicians working there and I knew I could learn from them. I wanted to learn from them. And, you know, they really helped. You know, even though I didn't formally say to them, you're my mentor, they were my silent mentors. And I just wanted to be able to do what they could do. And now I was very, very lucky to have that... um, that support and such good examples of um, mental health nurses. And I think because as well I really like to study, I was always keen on, you know, how can we do things differently or better or um, I think that's why it kind of landed me in a leadership role. And I'm kind of not shy of taking on a challenge. Um, you know, I'm always up for it. And, you know, they were just a wonderful, wonderful group of people to manage. Yeah. And thinking about in, in terms of your, your working life and your personal life, you can combine the two. Who, who has been your greatest inspiration in your life? My dad. I love my dad. 
And you, I love it too because you, you can't see it on the podcast, but you've got a glint in your eye when you talk about your dad. It's great to see. Oh, he's the best, best human being in the world. He really is. He's, you don't have to... He just knows, you know. I know that he knows me as a person and he's funny as... He really is. He's just wonderful. And I know I can see that he gets that from Pa, from his dad. And um, it's a wonderful trait of of the Emon family to have. And, yeah. and for Kate Emon, what's the the biggest compliment you've ever got in your life from someone? Ooh. That's a tough one, isn't it? Because we often remember negative comments, don't we, in our lives? Yeah. But what's the biggest compliment you've ever received? You're getting shy now. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Introverted Kate is coming out here. <laughs> yep. No, I don't know. If we, if we, us humans do find it hard to talk about that, don't we? What? Yeah, it is. Uh, we of, no, I often get complimented about my eyes. So that's another Emon trait. Um, I've had people say that I'm brave, but I don't see it as bravery. I just see it as wanting to live. Did, did comments like that? How did you feel when people commented? Oh, I get embarrassed. Embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not one for. Compliments. <laughs> it is embarrassing. <laughs> it's awkward. It's like, oh. I mean, from from my point of view, seeing you go through your breast cancer journey, it's been in. Oh. It's been. Uh, Sorry, I know what it is. I actually know what the greatest comment, any compliment anyone's ever given me, and they say it to me nearly every day. That's my youngest son. He always says to me, "You're the best, mum." You're the best. And every day it just, I love it. I love him. I love all my boys. But it just makes me realise that I'm doing, I'm doing the best version of me I can be as a mum because they're telling me. So, yeah. And, and as a mum, I think that's probably a lot of parents' biggest fear is, okay, well, am I bringing my kids up right? Am I doing the right thing? That's a, yeah. a big thing for a parent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's huge. It's huge. Do you, do you often think about where you would be today if you didn't have your kids? <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting thought, isn't it? It is. Um, I'd probably, well, where, what I would, what I had thought would be a trajectory for me was um, I'd love to play with the Chicago Symphonic Orchestra mm-hmm. and I always wanted to do play in an orchestra that does you know the soundtracks for movies oh brilliant and Star Wars in particular for exactly you. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's what I'd be doing but you know that's nothing compared to hanging out with three amazing human beings so. The most important thing in life, isn't it? Yep. That foundation, that's where you're oh, down to earth. You know, it's, it's not about what you've got and, you know, what type of car you have or, yeah, 
it's about the the strength of the strength of the relationships that you have around you and being attuned to that and where are you now in your breast cancer journey um so i am because it's it's triple negative breast cancer so which means that it's not dependent on hormones so there's no target therapies so once you have like had a bilateral mastectomy and had 12 months of chemotherapy because i had six months of chemo then surgery then the histopathology results weren't particularly good so i had to have another six months of chemo and then now it's about just meeting my milestones so i've got um you know a couple of years away from hitting my five-year milestone and that will be a big one so i mean that's all i can do and just manage you know the ongoing symptoms it causes nerve damage in your feet and fingertips which is a lot of fun so that's kind of where i'm at now it's just maintenance (laughs) (laughs) maintenance and and you know trying not to freak out every time you have to have a scan or you know what what do you do to prepare yourself for that scan do you do you just think about star wars or something like that what what do you do to prepare well honestly I had a recent scare where I had some bone pain and I had to bone scan. And I don't know why, but I go into this mindset of preparation. Of, okay, what do I need to to get done so that everything's prepared and as easy as possible if I'm, you know... Because if, if I do get metastases, it's not curable. So... Yeah, I go into preparation mode. Oh, have I got all my affairs in order? You know, does I know where my will is? It's what have I got in the cupboards that I don't want anyone to see after I die? <laughs> <laughs> so my mum, my mum has always said to me, wear your best underwear when you get in the car because you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, actually, my my nan um, used to say, um, always look after your nails because if you pass out on the street, you know, they know you won't, you know. They'll know by how lovely your nails are on, um, you know, whether you, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Whether you're not, I'm not in good state of affairs then with my nails. I'm I'm never either. Um, Yeah, it's actually one thing I did did promise myself to do. I don't know why. It's actually quite bizarre that um, I kind of embrace my femininity a bit more because I've always been a bit of a tomboy and, and you know, I grew up with brothers I grew up with you know really close to male cousins and we used to have a ball um, so I've always been a bit of a tomboy and of course raising three boys um, and and I actually wasn't attached to my breasts at all so it didn't bother me having a mastectomy uh, actually it was quite like hey, you don't have to wear a bra tick <laughs> Woo, went through in chemo induced menopause no more periods yeah tick. Oh, there we go <laughs> so bonus there, there are a couple of bonuses um but i decided to you know just look after myself a little bit more you know like do my nails every now and then because it's pretty you know not because i don't have time or it's like i'll do that every now and then is there there is a lot of because of the social media and so forth nowadays there is a lot of impact on the younger generation coming through how much effort they put into how they look uh, it's just a lot of time isn't it oh, a lot, it's a lot unbelievable of time 
it's unbelievable. It's, <laughs> yeah, and just, I mean, each to their own, you know. But, um, yeah, there seems to be a bit more pressure now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one final question I want to ask you, Kate. Yes. So what... <laughs> What what would advice would you give to your eighteen year old self if you could do that? Interesting age I've picked. It's prior to mm. your first son. I, I honestly, hand on my heart, say I wouldn't change a thing because where I'm at in my life right now is awesome. So what would I say to myself? Just don't get stressed about the journey. Just It's got peaks and troughs. It's not always going to be up. There's going to be downs, but you learn more from the downs anyway. Embrace them and, and look for the message and the learnings and those experiences. Your experiences have been astounding and your resilience is amazing. So, Kate Amon, I do appreciate your time on The Shape of You today and we look forward to hopefully chatting to you again on another episode. Wonderful. Well, that'd be great. I'll bring my horn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people would love to listen to that. Thanks very much, Kate. No worries. No worries. <laughs>